We spend a lot of time on this show dialoguing about how to lead people. Today, what to stop doing. Plus, your input wanted on the Coaching for Leaders listener survey. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 146. Produced by Innovate Learning. Maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. This is a weekly coaching show to help us all be better leaders through improved communication, human relations, and personal productivity. And if you're joining the show for the very first time, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. This is the place if you want to get better at being able to work with people, uh, work through people, help people to be more productive, and oh, by the way, be a lot more productive and effective at leading yourself. This is the place. And I'm, I'm so glad you're here because today I have a guest with me who has done a lot of thinking on helping people to become better leaders and just as importantly, if not more so, has a lot of business experience and a great track record behind him too on helping people to improve their leadership skills. And he's broken it down in a way that helps it to be really accessible. And if you've listened to this show for any time, you know that I'm a I'm a big believer in the continual improvement process and also looking at ourselves first so we can lead even more effectively. And that is why I am just thrilled to welcome Steve Richardson to the show today. Steve is the author of the book, Become a Better Leader in 30 Days, and he has served in many leadership roles over the years in both the for-profit and nonprofit world. And in particular, he has had a lot of experience in coming into organizations and helping them to turn around a bad situation and turn it into a better situation. And uh, although all of us love leading in times of great success, in reality, uh, many of us, especially as we develop our skill set, are often called upon to lead in situations that are not ideal. And that's why I know Steve's perspective here will be helpful for us today. Steve, welcome to Coaching for Leaders. Well, thank you, Dave. It's a pleasure to be on the show. Well, I am really glad that you're here. And uh, thank you for taking the time to write this book. Um, you know, I just think that it's it's just such a, um, it's such a good tool. And I, I really do, I really do like these books where um, you break it down and make it accessible for folks. And I, I don't think there's a lot of rocket science in a lot of the things of working with people, but sometimes it just gets overwhelming when we think of all the things that we could do. And and you've done a nice job here of really breaking it down to uh, to 30 things that will really help people to lead more effectively. So I thought it might be fun maybe to take a look at three or four or five of these things. Uh, we, won't, we won't have a chance at all, 30, of course. Um, and, and give people some things to help them right away today as they're um, walking into the workplace. Does that sound good to you? Yeah, that, sound, that sounds great. Uh, we kind of broke the book thematically down into three areas, why people follow whoever they follow, and some core leadership traits. And then the last sort of the book, which we'd like to focus in on today, is really the art of managing people. And so I think that'd be a great direction for us to go and to give your listeners some insights on um, on what I've picked up through the years on, on managing people. You know, I have a basic uh, theory that says 
all leaders manage, but not all managers lead. And so if we're going to be great leaders, uh, we also have to actually develop the art of managing people. Mm. So it, it should be fun to talk about that today. Perfect. Well, and, and any conversation about getting better at leadership, I think, comes along with what should we not do or what should we stop doing. And I know some of the top executive coaches out there uh, almost exclusively in some cases focus on getting their clients to not even do anything um, better right away, but just to stop doing some things. And so one of the um, one of the things you highlight in the book is how to not manage people. And, and you deal with three things not to do. And so I thought this would be a, a fun place to start. And one of the things that you advise folks to not do is to not manage by suggestion. Uh, tell me more about what you mean by managing by suggestion and why is that a no-no for leaders? Yeah, you know, I I learned this in my work with turning companies around because one of the things that you would do when you'd walk in, you would have a level of lower morale. And so you would do some interviews with people and you'd ask people about, you know, how do you feel about your manager or the direction you're getting? And the most common answer I would get is an answer like this. Well, they never tell me exactly what they want. And so I would ask the question, well, what do they say then? And they'll, and then they'll go through all sorts of different examples of, well, they'll say, have you considered this? Or maybe there's these options and, and then they just disappear. And then the employee is just left to kind of do it on their own. And so I, I coined this through the years as managing by suggestion that, the manager walks up to the person and he kind of makes a broad suggestion and you're left on your own devices. And then I've discovered that the real core of this management style is so that you never have to take any blame. You can always come back and say to that person, well, that's not exactly what I meant because you never were very direct on what you meant. And so I have heard this so many times through the years that I just coined the phrase managing by suggestion. You know, uh, they love these type of managers love to stop you in the hall and say, have you thought about these things without any direction at all? And then you're supposed to kind of have to figure out what they actually meant that they didn't say. And it's so frustrating uh, to teams of, of productive people because most people operate much happier and much more productively when leaders are actually direct. And, and so I've, I've coined it, don't do that. Don't manage by suggestion because it's awfully frustrating for I, those who are trying to follow you. Yeah, and I, I think the, uh, the insight you have there is really, uh, is really interesting that you know, I, I've, I've definitely seen that happen where um, someone makes some broad suggestions and then someone, will, you know, someone else goes and acts on them and then it's not, either it doesn't turn out well or the person who made the suggestion perceives that it wasn't what they wanted to have happen and then ends up giving that person a lot of feedback, in some cases very critical feedback, when in fact they just weren't clear on what the overall outcome was that was expected or the overall metric that the person was supposed to be working toward or the team was supposed to be working toward. And so it sounds like what we can do 
from a leadership standpoint is be very clear on what's the objective. What what do we want? Where do we want people yeah. to go versus being you know kind of vague about it? Yeah, I always say on the flip side of this, you can ask yourself the question: What do people really want from their leaders? And I always say that there's two things that throughout the years that people actually want. They want their leaders to be direct and they want their leaders to be decisive. And so this whole concept of managing by suggestion is is very counterproductive to those two themes. You also say that we should avoid managing by hoping. So tell me what you yeah. mean by that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, this is this is close to our manager by suggestion, but managing by hoping hoping is even worse. And, and so it it goes like this: um, the manager is walking down the hall, and he sees maybe his his top sales manager, and he says, "How are things going?" And that person says, "Fine," and the response is, "Oh, great! Keep at it." Now. What that manager is really saying is, boy, I sure hope things are going fine to himself because he has no idea. And so these type of managers maintain an external, very positive attitude, very coaching, rah-rah oriented. But as a rule, they have no concept of whether things are fine or not. And so... That what happens on the employee side, they soon learn that this person just wants to hear good news. And mm-hmm. so almost always they'll say things are fine or we're getting there. They'll never say that we have a challenge. We'll never say that we lost XXX customer. They just won't engage in any of that. And so we call it managing by hoping. And so now you create an organization that lives on delusion. Oh, interesting. Because no because no one is going to tell them because people are pretty good at reading people and they soon learn that, boy, this, this person only wants to hear good news because they're hoping that everything's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. You know, as you were saying that and, and walking through that example of the person walking down the hall, you know, I've done that, Steve. And I think a lot of other people have in leadership roles where someone says something that's kind of, um, you know, could be interpreted a lot of different ways. And you say, oh, good. You know, I'm glad to hear things are great. And then moves on. I know I've done that. And there have been times that I've done that and it's come back to bite me, uh, you know, if yeah. not directly, indirectly. And I've realized that if I had just taken the time to ask the second question or maybe the third question uh, or talk a little bit more in detail about how a person's day's going or how the metrics are looking, that often not only would I have uncovered something, but I would have actually made their job a lot easier too because we would have resolved an issue before it became a much bigger issue. Yeah, yeah. You know, as leaders, sometimes we'll, we'll come off with that comment just, just because we don't have time. And, and so it just becomes a polite response. But it, it's, it's the manager that what I call gets into the habit of that sort of comment and that methodology then becomes part of their daily management routine and they don't learn anything. And so then uh, they don't have a handle on any decisions. They aren't asking any specific questions and they're hoping. They are so dearly hoping because when I sat down in rooms with them and brought them the actual information of what was happening with their sales staff or any other department, they, it was almost like they were appalled. 
because they had built this circle of hope <laughs> without wanting to know what was happening. And and it's and it's destructive on on people because they start clouding their responses back to you uh, that are getting farther and farther removed from reality of what the situation may be. So all of a sudden, the way we do business around here becomes we tell the manager or leader what it is they want to hear versus maybe the real honest, frank dialogue that people need to hear in order for the organization to perform. Right. Because nonverbally, we've learned that that's what they want to hear. Isn't it amazing how much we can teach people by not saying a word sometimes? Oh, it is amazing. <laughs> I'm it always struck by that. absolutely amazing. <laughs> Okay, let's look at the third one here on the how to not manage people. Uh, you say also to avoid the and watch out for the managing by redoing. Uh, say something about that. Yes, I, I call this the morale killer. This is the total morale killer. What happens is the manager will bring in a group of people and he'll, he'll, he or she will hand out all the assignments. And everybody leaves the room with a clear understanding of their assignment, and they go do it. Sooner or later, that manager will visit each and every one of them and actually, through some level of manipulation, will, will actually tell them that, oh, let me take care of that. I can do that, and I can do that. And so he, event, he or she eventually works their way back through the ranks and retakes on all the work that they're doing and redoes it. It's the ultimate. It's the ultimate control perfectionist behaviorism, and and what it does. Th this is the one style that makes people absolutely one hundred percent nonproductive. Here's the question: How how would you feel? How do you feel? Well, you feel like your approach and what you were doing is actually worthless, and so what that now creates is when he gets more work your assumption is now going to be, well, pretty soon he's going to come in and redo it. And so your productivity really starts to plummet. And it's very, very, very um, destructive. And it's not empowering. It's very disempowering uh, to these folks. And so um, when I've seen that in organizations, and, and you, you see it in pockets in organizations, you don't see it across the board, but you'll see a particular manager who has taken that approach and that particular department uh, just is now just showing up, putting in their time uh, because they know that this person's going to eventually redo everything. You know, I, I, I really resonate with this one a lot, Steve. First of all, because I know there have been times I've done this and I think, I think every leader has does this to some extent at some point. And I resonate it with it too, because it is a trap in particular uh, from with people that tend to be the highest performers in the last job that they had. Uh, they were the person that, and I'm curious if you've had this experience too, but the, the, the people yeah. who tend to do this more are the ones who were the star performer in the last role, and they did it better than anyone's ever done the job. And then all of a sudden that they became the manager because of that. And then they're still doing the job because they do it better than anyone else could do it. And they're, they're, they're really still doing their last job in their new role, even though it's not their job anymore. 
Exactly, and and that's that's very that's very true. And and for those folks learning learning the real art of delegation, and that things can be done a different way, but just as well, is many times a tough lesson. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and, 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 it, and it takes them a while to learn that. For those who haven't been listening for a while, we did a show on this a little bit back on the the art of delegating effectively. So I'll put a I'll put a link in the show notes here, well, because I think that, that's a, that's a, a good antidote a great for link, this. They go hand in hand. Yeah, yeah. and you know it's 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 funny, Steve, because it comes from a good place. Like I, I mean, in some ways, it comes from a good place. Like we want a good work product. It's just the execution of it is really flawed, and we do it by really messing with other people's engagement and ownership over things and and we want something to be 100% perfect but we you know we're not willing to deal with 95% perfection we kill people's motivation to do so, to do anything in the future um so i i think you're hitting the nail on the head here for sure yeah yeah and and it is a philosophical difference of perspective too doing something well myself is different than doing something well through other people mm. Mm, I like and, that. and and that that is a fundamental difference between uh, just self engagement and leadership. So one of the other principles you speak about in the book, Steve, is uh, the question: How can I help you? And you say that that's really one of the most important questions you can ask of the people that you're managing. Tell me more about that yeah. question. Yeah, I, I do a whole day on that uh, simply for this reason. When you're in a position of leadership, sometimes we don't realize that the position itself changes the way people communicate to us. And so many times as leaders, we can come with the assumption that if somebody needs help, they will ask us. But the reality of life is that they are very hesitant to ask us. I had to learn this the very, very hard way early in my early years of running things. Um, we would be moving, uh, moving forward with something and all of a sudden something didn't get done that should have been done or it didn't get done because they, they needed some input from me or something. And, and my reaction when I was young was, well, why didn't you ask me? And I said it with a lot, lot of edge. If you had asked me, we could have fixed the other, da, da, da. And, uh, I would never get a response. I, I'd get mute silence. And the mute silence through the years, uh, after I did it for quite a while, it dawned on me that, you know, maybe the problem is not with them asking me. Maybe I should have asked them earlier. Mm. And so that created a fundamental shift in how I looked at positions of leadership and how people responded to positions. So I started asking people intentionally, is there anything that I can help you with? Um, and, and I have a, I have a story um, that, that I remember. I, I remember I had a person that was uh, trying to work on a project uh, for me. And so, uh, and they were working very hard on this particular project and I could see that they were stressed. And so I actually stopped and I asked how things were going, and guess what they said? Fine. They said fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, now, you know, this is, you know, all leaders should understand that the word fine does not necessarily mean fine. So, so I took it one, that one step further, and I said, is there anything I can do to help? So this particular follower paused for a moment and said, well, there is one thing I, I could really use help on. I can't get a meeting with the key decision maker to move forward on this project. And as soon as they told me who it was, 
uh, I said, no problem. I'll take care of that for you because I actually knew this person quite well that they needed a decision from. Mm. And you should have seen the look of relief on their face. And so it turned out that the key decision maker was somebody I knew. They took my call immediately um, and the situation got resolved. So by asking that one question, it helped this person become successful. The deal closed, the project went forward just fine. And, And that is just a simple illustration of many times where I have where I had committed myself to pursuing that question, that it has changed the conversation. It is. And then, then they're willing to, to actually tell you something that they need help on or a log jam that they've run into. It, it's, it's a great question. And, it, and underneath it, underneath the question is, um, and we, you and I have heard this concept in leadership a lot, but it's that, it's the servant motif and leadership that comes through. How can I help you? How can I serve you? Mm, I love it. I love it. Yeah, and there, there's two things that really strike me about this question, Steve, that I love. Um, and, you know, one of them is just how simple it is. So you can be having a conversation with anyone interacting with just about anybody uh, in a leadership capacity. And, and this can be the starting point or even the ending point of a conversation. Um, so it's it's so impl- simple to add. I mean, anyone can add that as part of their conversations today immediately. And then the other thing I really like about this kind of comes back to your story on this, Steve. I, I love the fact that you recognized that there was a pattern that you were running into and that you decided to do something differently. And I think that a lot of times we see kind of the same frustrations come up in leadership and we don't necessarily look at the common uh, the common denominator in all of them. And many times if we're running into kind of the same issue, like you were getting that silence for years and years and running the same issue, it's, it's easy to just say, well, that's something that people always frustrate me on. But what you really did is you looked at it and said, okay, maybe I'm the common denominator. Maybe it's, maybe it's the fact that I'm involved in all these conversations and I keep getting this result, what can I do to change? And I, I love that you took that perspective in order to develop this question. Yeah, and, and, I, and I've added to that through the years to really understand that there is a fundamental positional gap between leaders and followers in, in how followers think they should communicate to leaders and how leaders think, well, well leaders think that followers should just say whatever they want to say, but in reality, they don't. And so we have to make intentional efforts to open up certain communication doors so that we can hear them legitimately. Mm. One of the other models that you look at in the book, and I think you you cover this over three days, is the yeah. triangle of managing people. And there's there's three concepts that you encourage people to look at that kind of have this, this tension uh, between them. And it's it's Fair, friendly, and firm. Uh, tell tell me first of all about these three concepts, and then I'm I'm curious uh, to also learn a little more about the relationship between them. Okay, well, I, I developed the concept by watching my by trying to do a little bit of self analysis and some analysis of some other people that I thought were really good at managing people through the years, and then I constantly heard Dave this from fellow leaders. I love running my business. I hate managing people. 
I cannot tell you how many times I've heard that. And I would always say, well, isn't that the ultimate oxymoron? How can you run a business without people? Right. And so, so somewhere we have to get over this thing that I love running a business, but I hate managing people as if, as if they're two distinctly different things. And so through the years, I said, okay, so what is it? And I've always been fortunate in having uh, been able to blend the leadership and managing people things. So I, so I said, what is it that I really do? Well, I, I try to be consistent with people across the board, and I've translated that to the word fair. I try to be friendly, but not their friends. I'm not their social buddies, but I'm interested in who they are. I want to be more informal than formal, and so I, I try to be friendly. And then I do know that when I have a lot of people that are trying to go toward a, a common goal, there has to be a firmness about how we get there and taking responsibility and also engaging in accountability. And so I kind of created a triangle that I could spin. And I said to myself, okay, to really manage people, it takes um, being fair and friendly and firm all at the same time and that they're all held in tension all the time. And, and you have to have all three operating. Yeah, and, and so that's kind of become my mantra. I would say that's been my mantra on managing people for the last 20, 25 years. Yeah. Okay. And so I think that if uh, these three all really resonate with me um, as as being three elements of working with people, and I think for a lot of people would say, okay, those are three really good leadership principles, fair, friendly, and firm. Um, I, and the challenge then comes on, okay, how do I know... Like, how do they play off each other? What are some of the, the, the rules that govern, like, how they work together? So, yeah. so that's the part I'm, I'm really curious about. What, yeah. would, what are some of the rules you use as far as, like, how do these well, work I, together? Yeah. And- I have five. I have five rules that kind of work that I, that I keep. First off, all three of them overlap all the time. So you, you never can just pull fairness away from friendly or firm, that they're overlapping with each other all the time. The second rule is they're always in tension. They're always in tension. Friendly will always be in tension with firmness. Uh, firmness will always be in tension with fairness. And then the third one is, in any given situation with any particular person, one of these themes will usually take the lead in a given situation. So what I've learned to do for myself is when I'm dealing with a person, I will quickly say to myself, you know, which one of the three points of the triangle do does this person really need me to focus on, you know, right now. Mm. And so that, that one will usually take the lead. And then the other thing I've learned is my fourth rule is it takes intention to keep them in balance. In other words, I just can't say I'm going to be fair, friendly, and firm. I have to constantly look at myself and and do some evaluation. Am, am I too friendly? Am I overly firm? Am I being inconsistent, unfair? Uh, and I have to internally decide I'm going to keep these concepts in tension and balance for myself. And then the last one is a bit more esoteric. I actually let my intuition govern how 
which one takes the lead or how they mesh for certain employees or followers. Mm, got it. I know. They, they aren't hard and fast rules, but this isn't a, but managing people is more art than it is classroom uh, exercises. And so if there is an art to blending being fair and friendly and firm depending on the follower, follower or employee you're working with. And I'm curious uh, for you, Steve, has that has that art become easier over time as you've had more experience with it? Do you find that it's easier to navigate that intuition or do you find that it's still as challenging as it was, you know, several decades ago when you started uh, your, your leadership journey? Um, for me, it's easier Be- because I now, I now understand through trial and error through the years of, of what balance for me looks like better. I I think the thing that's difficult is understanding where the balance lies. Mm. And so, so I think I've come to greater peace about the balance. Now, do I run into followers that challenge me as to where I need to be uh, in my triangle with them? Yes, I I still run into challenges, and I run into a few individuals here and there that I say, huh, okay, you know, maybe maybe I need to uh, rebalance how my, what my approach is here. So um, yeah, but overall, I'm much more peaceful than when I started in terms of keeping them in balance for me and and my approach with a broad group of people. That that's so great to hear, and I, I as I was wondering that for you, I was thinking to myself, how would I answer that question? And I think my answer would be really similar in that I do also find that there are absolutely situations that happen where I, I still run into that, what am I going to do in this situation? Or I feel like I've made the wrong call. But I do find that those are a little fewer and farther between now than they were 10, 15, 20 years ago. And it seems like, I, I think that there's there's some hope <laughs> from a leadership standpoint that I, I think when we start off in a management role for the first time, that it is really hard. And I, I don't think there's enough appreciation about that, especially in organizational world, about how hard that really is. And people you know, go through their first six months, maybe as a leader or managing a team of people, and they're like, if this is, if this is management, this is for the birds, I'll do something else. And, and, and I do think that there's really an element of that this does get, you do like any other skill, in life and any other competency you learn, it, it does get easier to navigate and you do get more experience and you do become wiser. And, uh, and I'm, and I'm so glad to hear that's been your experience too. Yeah. Yeah, it has. And, and, and I think there's an undergirding principle that helps me too. And that is I can't do what I want to do without them. Mm. And so if I can't learn to really help people be their most effective and, and managing this is part of helping them to be most effective, then I, I ultimately will not accomplish what I'd like to see accomplished. So now some people may interpret that as ultimate selfishness, but I interpret it as a fundamental understanding for me that I can't get anything done alone. So if I can't work creatively and consistently to others, it, we're not going to achieve things we'd like to achieve. 
Yeah. Man, and good leadership is really, you're doing things that are going to help both of us, right? You know, both the leader right. and the follower. Right. So yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, otherwise it's, you're just breeding resentment if it's only helping the other party. Right. Right. There has to be mutual benefit out of the thing. When you and I first talked, we have a mutual friend, uh, a shout out to Javier, who listens to the show as well, too. And uh, he yeah. put us in touch, and I was so glad to get connected with you. And it, it turns out we're both in Southern California, so I'm, I'm looking forward to meeting you in person here at some point, too. And uh, I remember from our first conversation that you had mentioned that you know you had thought about this book for a while, and and then you, you know finally decided to sit down and write it and to and to get it down. And I am I'm just curious, you know, as you put together this book, Steve, and actually got it down on paper. Um, what, if anything, changed for you? Uh, and, and, or what did you learn through that process of finally taking all this this experience and wisdom you've had over the years and just getting it onto paper and sharing it with others? Well, well, well I, learned, I learned two things. One, one is, when you are a leader, and, and that leadership for you is has been a fairly natural, intuitive gift, it is quite a challenge to suddenly distill it on a piece of paper. And and that was probably my biggest hurdle through the years. Uh, my second hurdle was, is I, um, you and I have read lots and lots and lots of books on leadership, and I really just didn't want to write a theoretical book that would sit on a shelf uh, that would not, benefit our next generation of leaders. And so um, when I got through the hurdle of distilling and also the hurdle that maybe I could actually add something that would actually help somebody, it really led me one afternoon, Dave, I sat down and I said, Steve, what are the things that you do every day? I just started writing down a list. Uh, And when that list got to in the 20s, another thought hit me. I said, you know, it, it, you know, it does take people about 28, 30 days to actually change a habit. And so it didn't take me much, much longer to pen out, you know, 30 days. And so I came out with 30 concepts. I played with those concepts a bit. And then I said to myself, you know, we're in a different at- atmosphere and I want this to be very practical. So I want the chapters to be short. I mean, short enough that they can read them on their iPhone. And so I told myself that chapters will stay a page to a page and a half. And then I wanted something that would validate the concept for them in their minds. And so I created a little little activity for each day. And so once once that started melting out, you know, I wrote the book very quickly. And that kind of opened the door for me to do that. Such a great reminder of the importance of just starting something, of putting a framework and a vision around it and taking that first step. And and it, it is so amazing how if we're willing to have the courage to just step out of our comfort zone, do something different, to get something down on paper, to have a vision for something that uh, that so often some really cool things can happen really quickly and a really great project can come together if we can articulate that well. Yeah, yeah. And I knew all along, you know, I, I never had any visions of myself that that for any particular individual picking up the book that um, all 30 concepts or all 30 days, if they did it in that manner, uh, would be life-changing. But I, I have learned this through the years, that if one or two concepts actually really turn on a light or change a behavior, uh, then we've made a fundamental shift in how we lead. 
and how we view leadership, and that's and that's what would be the ultimate outcome for for somebody. Well, I think this is a wonderful roadmap for folks who are in a new leadership role or maybe are even taking on a leadership uh, responsibility for the very first time because it's accessible. It gives you something each day that you can do. And like you said, Steve, you know, it, it really does start to get you thinking about how to create new habits. And uh, and, I, and I love the practical nature of it. So I, I know it'll be something that'll be of value to our community, and I, I hope folks check it out and really uh, use it as a framework for how to improve their leadership skills. So I, I so appreciate you taking the time to write it and spend your time with us today, and I appreciate your contribution to the leadership community. And uh, and just thanks so much for uh, for what you've done and for being a part of the show. Well, thank you, David, and it's been a real pleasure. You know, I love I love speaking on these subjects and discussing it, and uh, and I and I really do have a commitment to helping the next generation of leadership. Um, really find some key elements that they can hang their hats on and have a successful leadership career. Steve Richardson is the author of Become a Better Leader in 30 Days. You can pick it up on Amazon, and of course, I'll have links in the show notes as well. Hey, Steve, thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Dave. It's been a pleasure. A big thanks to Steve for his wisdom and taking the time to share it with us. The book, again, Become a Better Leader in 30 Days, you can get on Amazon. And at the time the show's airing, it's a great deal if you get it on Kindle, $4.99. So I'd encourage you to check it out if you found wisdom in what Steve was mentioning. There's obviously a lot more in the book. And my question for you this week is, what should you stop doing? Uh, you know, we we like to think about what we should start doing as leaders, but we also should be thinking about what should we stop doing. And I'm, uh, I know for me, there were things that this conversation reminded me of, and what are some things that I uh, want to watch to make sure I'm not doing. And so I'd hope you take a moment to consider that, and maybe even hop online and answer that question, and check out the show notes for this episode. You can get to them at coachingforleaders.com slash 146. And of course, I always welcome comments, questions, or feedback on this episode or any episode at coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. And speaking of feedback, I mentioned at the top of the show that I am going to be administering a Coaching for Leaders listener survey. Uh, This is the first time that I've uh, administered a survey, and uh, I really am excited about learning more about the community of people who listen to this show. And, uh, you know, just this week, I ran into a friend who has listened to the show for uh, since episode one and uh, listens religiously every week. And uh, she had a colleague with her, and you know, we got on to talking about the podcast. And uh, you know, and then we kind of uh, you know said goodbye and, and split ways. And then uh, I ended up running into them uh, coincidentally about 15 minutes later. And uh, she was showing her her friend who was with her how to subscribe to the show on her iPhone. And you know, I I just I was so uh, I'm so grateful for her, but but also for all of you who have taken the time in the past few years who have listened to the show and shared the show with someone that uh, you care about and want to see develop. In their leadership skills as well, and and you all doing that has grown the show to the point where, uh, depending on the week, almost four thousand people 
download and listen to the show each week, which is just a staggering number to me. And I, I'm just, I'm so humbled and grateful to have the opportunity to come to you each week and to be a small part of your development. And I'd like to learn more about how I can serve you and and uh, and 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 Bonnie and I can work together to really bring value to you from the show. And so uh, the survey is designed to do uh, three things. One is to learn a little bit more about the community. Um, so you'll see there'll be some questions on there if you decide to take the survey about uh, you and where you're at in your career. Um, also, I'm asking for some feedback specifically on how this show can be better. And I'm, uh, you'll see on the survey, I'm taking some of the wisdom from Sheila Heen on asking for feedback on the survey. And then finally, you will see some questions on the survey about future products and services that uh, we are in the process of considering. And in fact, uh, there will be some uh, pilots uh, or pilot coming up this summer for uh, some of you in some new things that we're planning to do. Um, but also, I want to get some feedback uh, because I've actually had, uh, I've been reached out to about sponsorship for this show. And there's a lot of podcasts out there that have run ads. And for a whole bunch of reasons, that's not a direction that I'm planning to go. Um, but one of the uh, things that I am planning to do is to provide products and services for the people in this community who want more and have asked for more. And so I really want to learn from you exactly what that is. Uh, you know, we won't get that perfect uh, when we start it. Um, but uh, the more we can hear from you, the better we'll do at uh, hitting the nail on the head sooner. And so that's a part of the survey as well. The whole survey will take you less than five minutes to complete. So if you would take a, a few moments this week to complete the survey, I would be very grateful to get your input and you will help shape the future direction of this show and more of what we'll do to serve the community. So the way to do that is to go to this web address, coachingforleaders.com slash survey. So if you do that, it'll take you right to the survey. You can do it on a mobile device or desktop, whatever you've got. And uh, take a moment to complete that this week. I'd be very grateful, and it will really help to further to the direction of this show. And if there's things that you want to see changed or added to the show, that is a great opportunity to give feedback. So again, coachingforleaders.com slash survey. And thank you in advance for doing that. I do plan on sharing the results of the survey, at least at a high level, with the members of this community, either electronically or here on the show. So I'll find the best way to do that as we start collecting data. Uh, so know that you will be a part of hearing that feedback as well too. Hey, a special thank you this week to those of you who have subscribed to the weekly update to get the weekly article and also the notes for each of these podcast episodes, uh, including the one today from uh, Steve Richardson. So a special thank you to Tracy Tillot-Gray, Sal Villardo, Christine Quackenboss, Olga Correa, Tammy Ostrowski, Jeff Punch, Sharon Kreitsch, Whitney Jacobs, Christopher Naidu, Joe Gopner, Yo Yashbel Lecha. Hope I said that right, Yashbel. Sorry if I didn't. And Kelvina Burl. Thank you so much to all of you for subscribing to the weekly update. Hey, if you'd like to get 
the show notes for every episode, and my weekly article each week that'll help you to improve your communication, human relations, and personal leadership, just go over to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. And if you do that, you will get on the weekly updates. You'll also get access to my downloadable guide on 10 leadership books that will help you get better results from others. And uh, the first two are two I rely on weekly. So definitely check out that guide. It's a great place to start your reading. And if you're new to the show, I really recommend that as a starting point for you. Hey, thanks so much for taking the time to tune in this week. And I hope that you will take five minutes this week to complete that survey. You'll see some links on social media coming out as well for those of you who are connected with me on LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter. So uh, again, it's at coachingforleaders.com slash survey. Thanks in advance. And I hope you have a fantastic week. Talk to you next week.